Welcome to Listen Up, a Marine Log podcast. I'm John Snyder, publisher and editor of Marine Log. Being a Marine Salver has never been an easy job. As his first responder, you're on call 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and 365 days a year. Now it's even more complex with the influx of larger and larger ships, which pose their own particular technical challenges, expanding ship operations in the polar regions, and ongoing regulatory and legal challenges brought on by environmental incidents. We sat down with Mauricio Garrido, president of TNT Salvage, to get the inside scoop. All right, Mauricio, well, tell me a bit about uh, TNT Salvage. TNT Salvage uh, is a pretty neat company. It's, uh, you know, it's still very much a family-owned organization, very tight-knit between the employees and the owners of the Teichman family. Teichman family started TNT back in 1957 in Galveston, and since then the company uh, has evolved into really being a... Uh, an all-around emergency marine services provider, not just to the shipping industry, but also to the oil and gas sector. We now, TNT uh, Salvage has, over the last 10 years, uh, we've set up operations in Hamburg, we're in Singapore, we're uh, throughout South America, and really turned into a, a global service provider. Altogether, we have you know very diverse uh, group of uh, professionals from naval architects to excellent welders to crane operators to former ship captains and just a really neat neat organization how many people are employed by by the company Mm -hmm. so the our entire group when you put together all all of our sister companies we're close to about 250 to 300 people worldwide now, certainly as, as a first responder and, you know, a Marine Salver has to be, you know, ready to respond 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What's your life like? Well, you, you're exactly right. I mean, it's 24, seven days a week and uh, 365. Um, yeah, I've been doing this for a while. It's, I guess I'm, I've lost count of the years, right? It's been a while and you, you kind of just get used to it being, you know, always at, at the ready and being prepared to sacrifice uh, important things. You know that that balance of of family and, and work uh, sometimes it's uh, it tends to suffer a bit. Um, and it is the nature nature of, of the beast that we're all in. And it requires, and this is why it's challenging to find people that really get into this type of work because it's. Uh, you got to be prepared to drop everything and and just go. And it, you know, I've I can think of many many birthdays and many anniversaries and Christmases where you've just have to go. Um, at the same time, there are periods where you know things are not so active and so quiet. So if you have a a good team and on the family side and everybody's flexible. Then you can adjust and take advantage of those lulls, you know, when there's not much activity going on. But it is demanding. It is demanding. We work across you know, multiple time zones. Today's technology, the uh, our digital era, where clients expect answers and reports and feedback immediately. You know, it's not when I started when we had telex and we had later we had fax machines. You had a little more time to to write things down and and, and uh, communicate. Now it's everybody expects immediate, 
immediate replies, immediate answers, and uh, it just becomes even more demanding. You know, certainly central still to to the salver's mission is the safety of life and the ship and the, the cargo, but another thing that has, has emerged is protecting the marine environment from bunkers and pollutants. Uh, can you kind of talk about how your role as a marine salver has evolved and what changes sure. you've seen in the business and, and some of the big challenges you face when, when doing an environmental salvage? Environmental awareness has obviously really changed. I mean, we, you know, when I was growing up, uh, we didn't know what recycling was, and we're all uh, expert recyclers now at, at all levels of of society. And, and that, you know, that awareness has really made its way into shipping, and it's been... You know, due to the unfortunate major oil spills we've had over the years, um, the public is not very much aware of that, and that, of course, has increased liabilities. And what has changed for us, was, was, what has changed for the Marine Salvo is that the protection and indemnity clubs, the P&I clubs, which in the past were not that concerned about salvage activities or the role of the salver because those costs are normally covered by the hauling machinery underwriters, by the proper underwriters, well, the night clubs always took a step, you know, back and weren't weren't so so concerned. Because of liabilities have um, increased and the penalties and so forth, and because the recognition that salvors can really prevent major environmental damage by responding quickly in, for example, patching a ship or doing a transfer of that petroleum that could leak out into another ship before it leaks into into the water, into the environment. The P&I clubs have now stepped in and they play an active role um, when there is a major salvage operation. And for us, it's great because it, it's, it's another client. It's another potential client that is willing to pay for our services. So uh, overall, for us, it's been a positive uh, from a commercial aspect. At the same time, you know, the, the minute you start uh, stepping into the environmental side, then you're, you have exposure to potential liabilities, right? So that we have also have to, we've had to address, we've had to look at our own insurances and make sure that we have adequate liability coverage for, to be able to play in that, in that field. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that to me has been the biggest change. As I mentioned earlier, the, the, the digital era and the fact that, uh, social media is in everywhere we go. There's social media down from the crew members on the ship that could be taking photos of the oil leaking out of the ship. Uh, it all ends up putting a significant amount of pressure on the, not only in the owners, but the insurers and by, by cascading down on us, on, on the salvers who are responding. Uh, everyone seems to be under the microscope these days with, with social media. You know, you, you lead me to my next question. You know, you mentioned about major oil spills, and of course you can't forget, you know, the Deepwater Horizon incident back in, in 2010. You know, you mentioned in the case of the Deepwater Horizon, of course, um, it kind of highlighted the fact that there wasn't, uh, you know, there was inadequate protection for responders and, uh, you know, they were hit with, with a number of legal fees and lawsuits after the, the cleanup uh, from the oil spill. And, uh, you know, while most of those suits were dismissed, 
you know, marine salvage and uh, response companies were, you know, kind of still left with a pile of legal fees. And, you know, where do we stand now in regards to the responder immunity provision in Open 90? So responder immunity has, you know, been there since the beginning of Open 90. There, there is wording in the law that addresses that. And unfortunately hasn't been really properly tested many times. And it was really unfortunate that Deepwater Horizon, a major case with lots of, uh, you know, huge visibility, huge impact on the environment that, that really brought it to light. And the way things have worked out, I don't think we've made much progress going forward. You know, the salvage industry and the oil spill response industry and others have been actively trying to I guess reword the wording a bit, let's say, or reemphasize or highlight the fact that responder immunity is there and responder immunity should be properly afforded to the responders. You know, we, if, if, if industry and the, those that could be affected recognize the value and the potential positive impact of a quick response by professionals, then we have to give those, we have to apply the Good Samaritan law. I mean, we, we can't have it both ways. And otherwise, there is, you know, the incentive goes away. And we're really going to go back to where we were, you know, 50 years ago, where the salvers would not respond. And when there was a potential major loss of a, of a vessel. And we have to work on this. And I, yeah, I know the, the American Salvage Association has been trying hard on this. The International Salvage Union has also been trying to work on this, but it's just, I guess, in, in the legal, in the legal arenas, it's perhaps just a low, you know, low priority issue. Yet, I think it's one of the most important ones out there in, in the, for the industry. I know the, you know, the leadership at the ASA continues to, to make that a priority, one of the objectives. And, uh, we've, We've have you know pretty strong coalition now for several years working on this, and I think we we really haven't moved forward too much, uh, which is unfortunate. It's a must. We we must find a solution for it. We certainly don't want to have another test case where we end up setting precedent against uh, against the industry, which just be such a huge uh, deterrent. One of the other things we're seeing in um, in the market is, you know, kind of a technical challenge to, you know, larger and larger ships, and in particular, you know, ultra-large container ships are becoming, you know, more and more common. And, and these ships, you know, when they do uh, catch on fire are a particular challenge for, you know, marine salvers and responders. You know, how, how are you working, you know, with the industry to, to address this problem? It's a, it's a very, uh, very good point you bring up in, um, in a very concerning point, I think, to all salvors. Um, and you're right, ships are getting bigger, and there seems to be perhaps a, a disconnect in the entire system of, of, um, of shipping. You know, the terminals are getting faster, right? Um, the intermodal logistics systems are getting more efficient. Cranes can move boxes much faster, therefore... They can handle bigger ships. They can dredge ports deeper. So that equation grows and grows and grows. And, you know, the, the ports are looking to move, you know, more TEUs every year. But, but everybody's missing the point that sooner or later, no matter how sophisticated, 
technology and advances in design and training of crews, um, is we are going to have an accident. We are going to have a major accident. And if we look back to the Titanic, it happened back then. And we had, you know, Solas came out of, as a result of that. We had the Exxon Valdez and we got Open 90. And we had the Coast Concordia not too long ago. The error in judgment of these uh, masters on board these these vessels, we're going to have the same on one of these megabox ships sooner or later. And it's going to be a major, major incident. And the fact is, the industry is not, we are not prepared right now to handle this, no matter what anybody might say. Will we find an, a, a solution and an answer? Can we do it? Salvos are very creative. We're the MacGyvers of the marine industry. We'll figure it out, but perhaps not in the most efficient way. So I, uh, I know the, some of our colleagues have looked at various conceptual designs of floating cranes that can reach over these humongous ships and grab containers if you had to, but none of it is built. None of it's out there. It will require investment. It's going to require investment from perhaps industry, perhaps the insurance industry, perhaps the shipowning industry. And it's going to take a concerted effort to to address the issue of not just the fire issue, but uh, a major collision offshore, which could lead to, imagine one of these ships listing 20 degrees in the middle of the ocean. How do you get to it? How do you get on? How do you tow it? It's um, a huge challenge. One of the things that TNT has embarked on uh, in in partnership with CMA, CGM, this is now three years ago, we formed actually a, uh, a technical working group that we've had successfully uh, active for now three, almost four years where we do uh, two meetings a, a year. And we have a, a whole group, diverse group of experts that uh, from class societies, the U.S. Coast Guard, to uh, crane experts, ship managers. And, and we all have uh, worked very diligently at identifying some of these challenges, some of these risks, and coming up with, um, you know, the gaps that we have as an industry, and then trying to find solutions. And uh, that's actually worked out quite well. It's uh, We've developed some really interesting initiatives. Everybody kind of, you know, contributes their time uh, and, and their effort, and the results so far have been tremendous. We're actually planning a, a seminar uh, perhaps next year where we're going to, you know, uh, make some of these findings uh, public and address some of the gaps that we still, you know, have to have to deal with as an industry. Major issue, major problem. Not just mega mega container ships, but I'm also concerned about mega cruise ships. That's another another challenging uh, vessel that when you have to deal with five or six thousand or eight thousand people, how, how do you how do you handle that? Containers might be easier than than people. Of course, now with more and more cruise ships going into you know the Arctic environment, that that's got to be a major uh, challenge as well. Major challenge, absolutely. Just the plain logistics and the cruise ship doesn't have to be that that large uh, you know if we had one of those smaller boutique type cruises with three or four hundred people still a huge challenge if you had to evacuate uh, the individuals and that concern alone I think would be humongous and then you of course dealing with the logistics of moving equipment tugboats there's nothing down there uh, but unfortunately you know how our industry works we are reactive we don't tend to be very proactive um, shipping ship owners 
tend to think that it's not going to happen to them, it's going to happen to the other guy. And, uh, you know, they kind of gamble a bit. I, I think some industry groups uh, that are operating in these challenging environments should be getting together and, and try to look forward a bit. And you, you mentioned, of course, uh, you know, thinking out of the box and uh, about, you know, the concept of a of a floating crane perhaps that could reach across on a container ship or are, are there other you know technologies that you're looking at uh, using drones and you know perhaps autonomous type uh, mm-hmm. vessels and technologies to, to as new tools for your operations we we um yes we you know we always try to sellers tend to be very innovative uh, type people uh, and we tend to focus on technology that will certainly make our operations more efficient. You know, one of the, one of the most important elements of, of responding to an emergency is to do a, a proper assessment at the onset, right? So just like going to, to the emergency room, you want to make sure you go to a, to a good emergency room where they have a lot of technology that can really pinpoint what, what your uh, problem is before they... They put knife to you, you know. So it's, it's the same thing with a ship. And yes, drones we use them actively. We have a lot of infrared systems that we're using. We have, um, um, of course, ROVs that uh, have been in the market for a while. But Salvors traditionally did not use them. We we tended to to rely more uh, more on divers, for example. So there is uh, a lot of technology out there that that we are incorporating into into our day to day, and then another aspect that we we have focused on at TNT is the ability to process high volumes of contaminated water, be it from uh, fire uh, water, what we call fire water. So that's the residual water after um, a firefighting effort has taken place. Or oily water, if you had, for example, an engine room that, that uh, was flooded as a result of a collision, uh, and you end up with a lot of, you know, thousands and thousands of gallons of oily water. Uh, and if you are in a remote spot, well, how do you deal with that? How do you handle all that pollution potential? So we've developed some very unique uh, modular technology that we can actually fly out onto the vessel and it's self-contained and it can process high volumes of two levels that are well below the marble uh, limit so it can actually dispose of 80 to 90 percent of the of this mix uh, back into the ocean uh, so we've tried to focus on, on things that you know give us that are not in the market and give us an edge you know certainly over our over our competitors while offering you know, value to our clients. I uh, appreciate your time, Mauricio. Great, great. Thank you, John.